This week on the Back Table Podcast. What I always tell uh, students is that there isn't one singular factor that you want because IR is such a clinical specialty. You really want to be uh, consistently performing well throughout all of med school. So you want to, you know, do the best that you can on all of your clerkships. Um, what you don't want is somebody who just kind of cruises through with so much potential, but doesn't exercise that potential, except when it's necessary. Because as a program director, you then think, okay, well, it's great that you're interested in IR and you're going to do great on your IR rotations, but you're going to not care about all your other DR rotations. And what you really want is somebody who's going to be consistently good all the time. Um, because at the end of the day, that's the personality that's going to rise to the occasion of pushing the IR uh, forefront further and further and further. Is that somebody's going to just bring their A game every day, irrespective if they like it or they don't. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Backtable podcast, your source for all things endovascular and minimally invasive. If you're a new listener, welcome. For all of our regular listeners, welcome back and thank you for listening. You can find all of our previous episodes of the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or our website. That's backtable.com. Subscribe to the podcast, leave us a written review, or check us out on social media. Let us know how we can make this podcast better for you, and we'll do our best to make that happen. Today, we're going to be discussing the relatively new IR residency. We have two guests on today who are going to offer their unique perspective, and um, their background will kind of give us some clue as to what their perspective is going to be. And we have uh, two doctors on today, Drs. Jeffrey Bodner and Bill Majdalani. Jeff, uh, can you introduce yourself real quick, and then Bill will jump over to you? Hi, yeah, good afternoon. Thanks, Chris, for having us. So my name is Jeff Bodner. I'm a um, technically a first-year radiology resident, second-year resident, and uh, I'm here at Emory University um, here in Atlanta. Awesome. And then Bill? Um, I'm Bill Majdalani. I'm the program director at Emory University for the IR integrated as well as the independent pathways. Bill, how long have you been in that role? I've been in that role uh, at Emory University for, um, this is going on my third year right now. And then uh, previous to this was a fellowship director at the University of Michigan. Okay, nice. Excellent. So Jeff, will you kind of tell us um, a little bit about uh, your background and training experience? I know it's limited up at this point. Uh, and then how you got interested in IR in the first place. Sure. Happy to answer that. Uh, so I had sort of a non-traditional background going into medical school. I actually um, was a chef prior to even doing undergraduate work through my own health experiences and being a patient um, that sort of drew me in to healthcare in general and some burnout from my prior job got me back into school. Through undergrad, um, I was fortunate enough to actually work as a technician in ICU uh, for three of my four years of undergrad. Um, there actually was fortunate enough to meet an IR private practice doctor who was often coming up to the bedside and rounding on patients. Through him, I really uh, was thankful enough to basically volunteer and, and see some procedures um, on my days off. So that was kind of my first introduction. And in meds, when I finally actually decided to go to medical school, I sort of just kept it in the back of my mind um, until really third year rotations and kind of really owned in on what I wanted to do. And I just kept falling in love with it. So that pretty much motivated me to continue down that pathway. And then there were some other um, subsidiary IR symposiums, um, involvement with the RFS committee through IR that really kind of just kept me wanting to, wanting to go that route. Okay. 
So, Bill, where are you at in terms of, I'm assuming since you've been around for at least three years, you're one of the, you went through the IR fellowship, the, the conventional old guy uh, pathway, um, which I also fall into. So, <laughs> so will you kind of tell us like how far like you've been in the game and um, how things have changed from the IR uh, fellowship to the IR residency? I think that's a great question. And thanks for having us, Chris. And, of course. And thanks for handing, tackling this topic. The uh, I finished fellowship in uh, 2012. And um I stayed at the same place where I did uh, my residency, and that was at Brigham and Women's Hospital. And I think what I've seen uh, over the last uh, 10 years, you know, every specialty has ebbs and flows in, in competitiveness. And IR is one of those fields where there's this constant innovation. And, you know, we see that procedurally on the front lines, but on the backside, there's also innovation on the way that education is happening and how people are uh, uh, being drawn into it. And I think those are the two things that I'm seeing uh, more and more. So you see more people coming into IR earlier stages. I think that's a lot of uh, credit to uh, SIR through the Med Student Council, as well as the RFS, so the Resident Fellow Section, um, as well as different avenues, uh, whether it's this podcast or otherwise, where, where we're reaching uh, more people at younger younger stages. You know, when I was going through it, um, frankly, I didn't have an IR rotation in my medical school. I actually experienced endovascular procedures through vascular surgery rotations and, and cardiology rotations. And I kind of thought, wow, if, if we can do it in the vessels and everywhere else in the body, how much cooler would this be? And uh, that's how I ended up, you know, almost a leap of faith going into a radiology and then uh, realizing that definitely IR was the field for me. So when you went into radiology, it was with the intent, like you had a pretty good idea ahead of time that you wanted to go into interventional? Yeah, I think if it wasn't for interventional, I probably would have gone into a vascular cardiology. Okay, interesting. So you touched on one thing that I, I wanted to bring up at some point, but how competitive is the new IR residency? Um, but but first, I, I want to hear about it from Jeff's perspective, then I also want to hear about it from your perspective. Uh, so so Jeff, from your perspective, like when, what's the what's the word on the street in terms of uh, competitiveness? <laughs> Yeah, it's very competitive. Okay. Uh, last I checked, when um, so when I was going through the application process, it actually I think was the most competitive specialty. You know, maybe for numerous reasons, um, maybe because of you know medical students really figuring out what IR was earlier on in their training, or just the the fact that you know there really um, there still was a limited amount of spots, um, but there were definitely was a lot more diagnostic radiology spots available. So I definitely felt the pressure. Um, I always felt like I was criticizing myself for not having enough research or, you know, committee involvement. And so, you know, when I went through the application process, I considered that and, you know, I kind of, I did a lot of away rotations. I did three away rotations and in IR specifically. And going through that, talking to a lot of fellows and um, different program directors and faculty, I felt really comfortable that, you know, if I really worked hard at it, I would get into IR at some point. It just may not be the clear pathway for me. Um, so I, when I applied, I sort of ranked the programs based on diagnostic and IR at that one particular institution and Emory was actually my number one spot. So I was really fortunate. Awesome. Well, congratulations. Um, so Bill, I, I would imagine that, you know, competitiveness, it's, it's, you know, probably a, a, a fraction or it's probably like, you know, based on numerator and a denominator in terms of like, you know, how many people apply versus how many spots available from your perspective, from the you know program director perspective, is it more like we do a fantastic job of limiting the access to interventional radiology or is just interest way up? You know, I think uh, you, you were spot on when you said that the ratio of applicants to positions has, it's been getting closer to one-to-one, uh, -one, whereas, you know, initially it was just uh, when there were fewer programs and fewer overall positions, it was three-to-one, five-to-one, et cetera. 
Um, but even within those people who are applying, the quality of the applicants are excellent. So you're seeing people who have, you know, the, everything, whether it's the, you know, the board scores, the publications, the service, et cetera, uh, across the board that could really go into any field of medicine and be at the top of any program director's uh, wish list. So those applicants are still there, but we're seeing uh, a greater depth of just really high-end applicants uh, overall. And what I, what I end up saying to people is, you know, as, as program directors, don't just apply to the integrated IR. There's still a, a lot of reason to go into DR and diagnostic radiology. And, and if you can get a high quality position in diagnostic radiology and then do an independent residency, you kind of get the best of both worlds as well. Um, you know, if you have an ESIR track, et cetera, but I don't want to get us ahead of any other uh, potential questions. No, the, the, so that's actually the, the thing that I wanted to really talk about uh, next was can, Bill, can you kind of speak to the different routes of getting into interventional radiology? Oh, absolutely. So. You know, we've been talking about the integrated IR residency so far, and this is truly integrated. So this is, you match in for med school and you have the next six years of your life planned out. You know, you know where you're doing your internship, you know where you're doing your um, full radiology training, which is inclusive of both the diagnostic as well as your IR training. So you're kind of all set, you're good to go. But you have two other pathways if that's not the right path for you. And one is to match into a diagnostic radiology residency. So you can potentially do internship someplace, diagnostic radiology someplace, and then you have one of two pathways at that point. So one pathway is called ESIR, or Early Specialization in IR, and different DR programs will have different number of positions of these if they have it at all. The large majority of diagnostic radiology residencies will have an ESIR position or multiple of them. For example, at Emory, we have three a year. So if you do your ESIR, you basically uh, commit to doing 44 weeks of IR, IR-related rotations, including ICU throughout your radiology residency years, as well as a minimum of 500 procedures. And then you go into a match um, for what would have been the fellowship historically, but now is the independent IR match. You know, you roll the dice again in the match and you see where you go for your final one year of IR training. If your DR program did not have ESIR or you were not able to complete the ESIR requirements, you can still go into IR as an independent candidate, but you have to do it in the two-year program. And you enter that same match of the ESIR candidates, and you have to do two years of IR training to make up for the lack of IR weeks in your radiology residency or number of procedures. So it uh, just like bring it to your, your home uh, program, do you guys have both the... Uh, EIR program where uh, you have three spots per year and uh, people can match independently for a two-year fellowship? Correct. So we have the integrated and we take uh, four a year right now. Uh, we have the ESIR, which are the diagnostic radiology residents, which we take three, but they don't necessarily have to stay with us. They can go anywhere. Right. And then we have the independent, which uh, we match six positions a year. And those can either be ESIRs from other places or our, or our own institution, as well as two-year independence from any other institution, including ours. Jeff, so not just from your perspective, but from like you and your peers' perspective, was there any way that's like preferred 
or does each one of them have advantages and disadvantages? Like, are, are some people like, I would imagine like for my personality, like I would just want to get into the IR direct, not sorry, not the IR direct pathway, but the IR residency straight off the go and be at a place for six years. But I think there's also some advantages to like, you know, having gone to two different institutions, uh, learned procedures from faculty, maybe at Emory and then also at another institution. Was that something that was discussed and talked about? Yeah, it certainly was. When I was actually going into away rotations my fourth year, I certainly, you know, of course, was thinking maybe integrated IR was uh, really the the best route for me because I knew that that really was my my interest in radiology to begin with. And I knew that I, I did, did want to stay at one institution. Um, and I grew up in the Southeast and, you know, primarily was happy to, to be back here in the Southeast. But with that being said, once I did away rotations, um, I had a lot of great advice, you know, like I said, from other IR fellows, other residents, faculty at other institutions. And, you know, most of them had, you know, had not, had not done their IR, you know, their diagnostic training at their institution. They had gone elsewhere and, you know, kind of getting their perspective and then also just kind of realizing that everyone just seemed to have this, you know, work hard mentality and they were really passionate about it. I just felt like it was, I was going to find a way into the specialty you know, if I just kind of kept that passion. And I, I think that's really what was in, but I'd like to, you know, tell people that are going through the application process or they're considering IR. I definitely um, ranked, did my rank list, you know, basically diagnostic and IR at one institution. And then I would go down the list of institutions because I was ranking places based on not whether uh, I was just going to do all IR. Uh, some colleagues of mine definitely had put all their IR slots in the match first and it wasn't based necessarily just on the institution like they were much rather happier matching an ir at a less well-known institution rather than having to match in diagnostic at a more well-known institution and so i i didn't i didn't necessarily feel that way so um i i certainly was happy to the way i did it so bill from your perspective do you think that, you know, no matter which way you get into IR, whether it, it whether it's right off the bat or whether you transfer in mid-year or whether you go the two-year fellowship route, that does the training all kind of shake out in the end and that everyone's, you know, SIR has designed it in a way that everyone's going to get good training. It's just, you know, how you get it peppered throughout either six years or maybe a little tighter bunch towards the end. Yeah, I, I think you're spot on there. And if anything, I think over the last couple decades, the number of good programs um, has really increased. I think there's just a higher level of training that's more consistent across the country. And I think more or less wherever you go, you know, some places may be a little bit better in some things or other things. You may have some experiences that are better here or better there. But overall, I think the quality of, of IR has really uh, increased and, and improved over the last decade, if not more. From my perspective, the doctors that are coming out now after training are like these super interventional radiologists, and they seem just overall better trained than I was. And, you know, I'm only five years out. Bill, you're like eight years out, right? Do you feel like these guys are just like some like super docs? You know, they're getting, uh, I think, uh, a broader exposure and they're being pushed harder. You know, I think um, from a program director's perspective, uh, we really feel the impetus is on us to make sure that this uh, training paradigm succeeds. So, you know, we don't want other specialties or, or other radiologists to question the quality of the IR trainees, either their DR skills or their clinical skills. And we need them to really lift us up. So we want to recruit the best, of course. We want to invest in, in training them and we want them to be better than our generation was. Granted, I'm kind of still in their generation, but we still are invested in them being better. Are we, Bill? Are we? <laughs> All right. Um, so, Jeff, back over to you. 
once you get into medical school, like, how do you get exposed to IR? Like, I mean, what was your personal experience in getting exposed to IR? And I know that you had someone that uh, you had met early on, even before you got into medical school. But if you can speak more broadly to the medical students in general, like what's your exposure to interventional radiology is a little more thoughtful than it used to be. I can just tell you from my perspective, I had almost zero exposure to interventional radiology, and I'm, I'm hoping that's changed. Uh, yeah, that's a great question. So my first years of medical school, you know, I really had no exposure to IR. I really focused on didactics and really knowing the fundamentals and really preparing for step. You know, and a lot of people, you know, are fortunate enough to get these other research experiences in the summer and et cetera. They may have mentors that they shadow in between, um, in between, you know, block exams. Um, but no, I, I, that's what I primarily focused on. Um, and then really third year, uh, we actually had no radiology rotations at our med school. Actually, I would say, like, was it really even encouraged? Um, there was so much focus on the core specialties, um, you know, medicine, surgery, OB-GYN, PEDS, um, even internal medicine and family medicine. Um, so what I did, actually, I was so scared because this is a second career for me. I was like, I don't want to make the same mistake twice and pick a career and have to go back and realize I don't want to do this. Um, so I, I actually third year started on internal medicine. And I think I had some pretty long days and instead of, instead of studying, like I probably should have some, to some degree after my rotations, I'd be done at three or four o'clock. I would walk down to interventional cardiology. I would shadow vascular surgery. And then I also, you know, ended up, you know, kept going back to IR. Um, I met a lot of great mentors at the hospital I was at. Thankfully, it wasn't such a big institution where people really didn't know you. Um, or really, it was like, you know, once you saw someone's face and you, you spent a day with them, they really remembered you. Um, and I just, you know, always just kind of showed a lot of interest, um, whatever I was doing. And I think that really kind of, I, if I could give any advice to a, especially a third year student who really doesn't know what they want to do with their life. I think that really was, was a key point for me is just consistently, you know, hanging out with as many different specialists as possible, things that you just may have never even considered because I wasn't going to get that experience based on the curriculum at my school. Um, I know meds, other medical schools are much better at maybe incorporating other um, specialties outside of the primary six here third year. I just knew that I wasn't going to get that experience unless I sought it out. Sure. Bill, how is it uh, at Emory? Is there anything that um, you guys do to improve medical student edu uh, exposure to interventional radiology? Or is it um, having to wait for people to show interest and then you kind of bring them into the fold on the back end? Well, I'll tell you, um, there's there's a few different things that we do um, both at Emory and and uh, that we contribute to on a national and regional scale. And I give uh, uh, my trainees a lot of credit, in particular Jeff, because they're involved with the uh, med students in, in different ways, both in the IR interest group that we have, um, as well as uh, a lecture series that we do for the M1s uh, at noon um, on a monthly basis. Uh, we also have a foundations elective uh, where they come and uh, can rotate with us in clinics starting in M1 year. Separately, a trend that has happened uh, across the country is these medical student hands-on symposiums, because this is a way to reach out to this new core of med students that are really who we have to recruit directly from, right? This is a new uh, paradigm for IR. So aside from those things, uh, from an SIR standpoint, there's obviously the Medical Student Council now, which people can participate in, and we have uh, scholarships available for medical students to attend uh, the SIR uh, through uh, in training uh, scholarships. And for me, that's how I actually first 
went to SIRs. I got a resident in training scholarship while I was a diagnostic radiology resident. Um, prior to that, hadn't really uh, been exposed to it. So I think these things uh, have provided additional avenues for uh, med students to be exposed. That's awesome. Bill, I'm glad you brought that up. If you, if you don't mind, I'd like to echo that. As far as the, the medical student symposiums, um, I actually did go to the Emory one my third year. Um, I think it was in April of the year I went. And I went to a few other ones as well. And it was a great experience just getting a chance to talk to, you know, faculty, other students that were interested, residents. Um, and then I was also fortunate enough my fourth year when I had already, you know, applied, they had the student scholarship to go to SIR. And it was just an amazing experience and only wish I had done it the year before. That's awesome. So I, what I wanted to talk about, and, and Jeff, you mentioned it earlier that you had done three away rotations. And that kind of prompted me to think about like, so what are some of the things that medical students can do um, when they're in medical school to make themselves more competitive, whether it be, you know, just crushing your step uh, scores or um, going on away rotations or just doing well in your in your regular coursework? Um, like, what are the things that are important to getting into a good IR residency? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I, and I do think it's variable, really, depending on um, A, your personality and, you know, knowing your own strengths and then B, sort of figuring out like uh, what type of IR practice you're interested in. Um, you know, there are several places that are much more focused on research and publications or committee involvement. For me, I think I just really wanted the face-to-face -face interaction and to show that I was very passionate about IR. I worked hard. I was going to be there early and stay late and just really get as much exposure as I could and talk to people. I found that to be a strength for me. I don't know if that's a strength for everyone, but I certainly uh, feel like I'm a pretty social person. So I, I've sort of benefited from that. Certainly got more interviews because of that as well. So that did help me. And I, I think I probably wouldn't, um, it really helped me actually get into Emory, to be honest with you. I mean, I really felt like um, I had a great experience here and um, I was able to shine through that. Um, other things, I wish I had got more exposure to research. My first two years, I didn't really have that. Um, I know a lot of people I certainly, um, that I was doing interviews with, you know, many had publications, um, many had, you know, several things standing with different IR, um, institutions with, you know, different research publications. Also, um, I had only found out about the RFS with the different committees a little later in my third, my third year, I tried to sort of slowly get integrated into that. Um, but I definitely recommend that to medical students because it definitely gives you different, it basically allows you to really dive deeper into you know, current issues in the specialty. And then really kind of you, you get to know people through that. You really get to have good conversations. So I, I guess for me, that was, that was sort of how I, you know, rounded, you know, my application off. Um, and then honestly, I, I definitely touched on a lot of my prior background in cooking. And I think that probably not a lot of people have that necessarily going into an application, but I think there were some interesting analogies uh, in IR or in any medical specialty to working in a kitchen as far as the, the long hours and the work ethic. Sure, I get it. It's a it, it called a differentiating feature in the biz. So if we so we can go right to the source because you got into Emory. So Bill, why did why did Jeff get into to the residency? Like why choose him over, I'm sure what you had a, a pool of fantastic applicants. He he cooked us a lot of good yeah, that's right. and that's, <laughs> <laughs> We were still at the hospital and we were hungry and Jeff took care yeah. of us. Um, you know, from a program director's standpoint, I, I kind of, I look at the whole package, you know, you want somebody who can pass their standardized exams, but I don't really put scores uh, a, a, as an isolating thing that makes me 
choose somebody or not. And, you know, we're moving away from the step one, actually having scores reported, right? It's just going to be a pass fail. Actually, can you, can you talk a little bit about that? Cause I just, that's probably like a, a different thing. Like if you, if you've been out long enough, you probably don't even know, aware of this. Yeah. So, so uh, in, in the coming years, you know, step one, you know, we always used to say, oh, you want to step one over 230, 240, 250, 260, 270, whatever um, number that's actually going to no longer be reported. It's just going to be a pass uh, fail. So if some programs had a uh, cutoff number, that's no longer going to be a way to potentially filter candidates. All you're going to get is a pass. Um, now, if that can that work against you or for you? Well, it, it probably depends a little bit on your perspective. If you're from a, a med school where you're networked and uh, has a stronger reputation, it may not hurt you for it to be uh, just a pass fail. Because if you did poorly on step one, relatively, um, then you're still buffered, right? But if you were from a smaller school that may not be as networked, may not have a radiology residency or an IR residency, um, or people to vouch for you or get you uh, connected, um, that could be a way that you could have, you know, stepped out uh, from the rest of the field if you had a ridiculously astronomical step one score. And that's no longer going to be there for, for better or worse, uh, however you look at it. I'm not a believer in isolated uh, scores uh, in selecting somebody, but this is something that is going away. So you were talking before I interrupted you about like the the total package or or what you're looking for in an IR applicant. And so you know if you could if you could paint a picture of like what like the the person who is like the the best fit for Emory, is it a, a combination of things? That it is it also a combination of that person with your program? Um, like that that's another question that I want to kind of dig into is like is there like a a personality of the program that you're trying to look to fit, or you're always trying to bring in different people that, you know, they help mold the personality of Emory? You know, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, and part of that is because we're, we're a program that's fairly large in size for an IR uh, integrated residency taking four a year. Um, that's a little bit on the bigger side. I think the the trainee that fits in best here is somebody who's going to be uh, resilient and elastic. And I think Part of that is because we just have different stressors. Uh, being in a bigger city, um, you're going to be going to different um, hospitals and using different computer systems, sometimes, you know, from one week to another. Uh, and, you know, uh, electronic medical records aren't always the easiest and, and different PACS uh, systems are not always the easiest to adjust to. But um, what I always tell my residents is that, you know, once you've achieved that learning curve, you're going to be able to go from one system to another system, and you've actually experienced all the different vendors. So whichever practice you go to, whether academic, private, or otherwise, um, you'll be prepped to handle anything because you've experienced it all. But if somebody really just wants one single location, one predictable thing, um, this may not be the best fit for them. Because here we are going to go to the VA. We're also going to go to an inner city safety net hospital in Grady, which is a major trauma center, as well as a pediatric hospital. And then you have all of the Emory hospitals, which is uh, foreign county. Now, trainees don't go to all of these hospitals, but they're going to go to many of them. So once a medical student decides that they want to do interventional radiology, what is some good advice as to where do you want to focus? I mean, because in my estimation, you know, you're, you're always, as a medical student, you're always a little pressed on time. Like, where can you devote your resources? But Jeff, if you could give some advice to like a medical student who's like year one, knows that what they want to do interventional radiology, what's the best advice that you could lay out for them in terms of like, what do you want to do to maximize your chances of getting in, uh, maybe not to the best IR residency, but the IR residency that you want to go to? Yeah, um, that's a great question. And just to touch on what Bill was saying um, and about the 
basically them getting rid of step one and it being pass fail rather than a score based system. Um, I, I did use that, the scoring to my advantage because I came from, you know, a lesser known medical school and I focused a lot on really getting those high scores. And, you know, I, I was, you know, somewhat at least successful with that now that things are changing. Um, and if you're going to be a part of the upcoming medical students that are going to have pass fail step one. I would just say really get out and network. I joined SIR um, earlier on. I love actually getting on the SIR Connect forums, always just seeing what people are talking about. I learned things through that actually, just looking at even just different techniques or if there's a symposium going on, it's often being posted on SIR Connect. Again, like I said, join the resident fellow and um, the RFS committee um, for SIR. I think that's a great way to network as well. Try to go to SIR, try to get involved with the student scholarship. They have a research, I think, summer scholarship that they have available if you're interested in that. Um, you know, a lot of these are, you know, paid. They often take care of your travel and um, it's a great experience if you're, if you have that available. Other than that, I really would say uh, make sure that you're, I still was questioning like a lot of, you know, people's certainty on a specialty your first year and second year of med school. I, I'm just, I always found that interesting that people will start medical school and they, they already know what they're going to do. And, and maybe they have some clinical exposure already to that. And they've, you know, been a nurse practitioner or a PA or, or whatever, um, before, but I would certainly just say, be open and, and never be closed-minded. I certainly think that you benefit from knowing knowledge from everyone. So if you're on a surgery rotation, try to get the most out of that rotation that you can. And that's kind of what I, that's what I harped on a lot. Everything that I was exposed to in med school, I, I really try to focus on that at the given moment that will bake, you know, that, that really made me better in my clinical skills for sure. And that's, that's very important. Other than that, research is always being harped on. I remember in interviews, it often came up. If you can get your hands on, you know, any kind of project residents are often, um, sometimes overworked and they don't necessarily have time to do all the project themselves. They're often looking for medical students to get involved. I'm certainly always trying to recruit medical students as well to help me with my projects because <laughs> it's really hard to do sometimes independently um, if depending on what rotations you're on. Yeah. So, I mean, I think those are a few things. There's probably several other things I didn't touch on, but I think for me, that was sort of what, what, what helped me. So, so one thing that I wanted to mention was um, I did do my transitional year here at Emory um, for my intern year. And being at the same institution for all throughout your residency was super helpful getting to know the EMRs, getting to know the people, getting to know where things are in general with the hospital and the city, not having to move twice. I can't harp on enough, like wherever you end up, just consider it. I certainly benefited from it with our transitional year program. We had two months of radiology. One of those was IR. I had two um, non-medicine electives. Um, one of those I did vascular surgery. I just, I really got to know a lot of the, the people. And then, you know, when you're getting phone calls about consults or referrals or whatever, Oftentimes, you know who's on the other end of the line, and it's really helpful. I mean, I had a lot of good relationships with people during my intern year that um, still carry forward today. So that's just something that I think you should keep in your back of your mind because you often don't think about your intern year very much when you're applying to radiology because it's only one year. If I could just expand on that for just one second, I think there's two really important points to make. Um, one is that that intern year, if you do it at the same place, really gets you plugged in on the research side of things too. And then doing high quality research sometimes does take several years. So your chances of uh, producing manuscripts, going to SIR, et cetera, increases. And 
you know, at least what we do is we have a dedicated intern that we're developing for our IRs that includes trauma surgery, vascular surgery, surgeonc, hepatology, et cetera, in addition to ward months and everything else that you would do in, in, in an intern year, uh, ICUs and ER months, et cetera. Um, and I think the trend that's starting to go across the country is that programs are going to become uh, categorical programs. So everything's going to be built in at the same place. Uh, we did that at Michigan uh, with a prelim surgery year built into the IR residency. And then we're going to be going uh, that route at some point here at Emory uh, as well with the transitional year. Wow, that's really neat. I mean, one, there's a lot of value in like just having like a categorical match where like, you know, you get plugged in the system so early. But one of the neat things that you're going to really start to reap a lot of benefits on like later, uh, Jeff, when you're like in your fifth or sixth year that, you know, some of these like um, services are run by like the upper level. And these will be people that you've done your intern year with. And like, there's just something that breaks down a lot of barriers whenever like someone just calls you on your cell phone There's ask, and they're asking you for a hand. It just, it feels less like a, a dump and more like, you know, a, a consult or like someone's like really like reaching out, asking you for help and building those relationships. It's, it's a smart thing to do, like when you're an intern, but you know, even when you guys move out into private practice, like that's one of the things, like when you get to know your referring docs and, and get to be like friends with them, it like builds a sense of community that you know, because it takes a team to take care of people these days. Yeah. So, Bill, can you uh, speak to the same thing from a different perspective? So if you're running into and I'm, I'm sure you actually probably talk to medical students all the time. I bet you they come knocking on your door. And and what advice do you try and give them as far as, you know, tightening up their resumes or just where to spend time and, and devote some of their energy? What I always tell uh, students is that there isn't one singular factor that you want because IR is such a clinical specialty. You really want to be uh, consistently performing well throughout all of med school. So you want to, you know, do the best that you can on all of your clerkships. Um, what you don't want is somebody who just kind of cruises through with so much potential, but doesn't exercise that potential, except when it's necessary. Because as a program director, you then think, okay, well, it's great that you're interested in IR and you're going to do great on your IR rotations, but you're going to not care about all your other DR rotations. And what you really want is somebody who's going to be consistently good all the time. Um, because at the end of the day, that's the personality that's going to rise to the occasion of pushing the IR uh, forefront further and further and further. Is that somebody's going to just bring their A game every day, irrespective if they like it or they don't. And and that's what I really try to glean from from anybody's application in particular is, is this person a serious person? Do they truly have a passion? Um, are they really living up to their potential? Or are they just kind of cruising and they can turn it on when they want, but they're kind of, you know, not doing it as often as possible. So, right. Like if you're lukewarm for like pediatrics and OBGYN, like, what does that, what does that say? If like all of a sudden you're able to turn it on and like, you know, crush surgery, but then you're kind of like, you know, treading water for those other services. I get it. So I want to talk a little bit about the, the interview process for interventional radiology. And if I can imagine it, it can be a stressful process and time consuming, um, when you don't have a lot of time, it can also be expensive. Jeff, can you talk a little bit about how many different programs did you apply to? And whenever you were applying, did you have a goal of like how many interviews that you wanted to get to like statistically give yourself like a, a better shot? I mean, like, because I mean, imagine you just don't have infinite amount of time to apply to every single place or uh, interview at every place. Yeah. Um, so I, I did apply pretty broadly to both diagnostic and interventional. I probably had a lot of interest in certain geographic regions and may have sort of ranked my programs accordingly to some to some degree of that because I do feel like um, maybe that's not emphasized enough when you're a fourth year med student and you realize that 
um, a program is, you know, the best for you. But part of that is also the city you're living in. And I think that, that your time off should be cherished and you should probably enjoy where you're living. Other than that, I think that applying broadly, I, I would say that I, I definitely had more diagnostic radiology interviews than I did IR. And I sort of put that in the back of my mind thinking that, you know, there just are technically there's more diagnostic radiology spots than, than there are IR. So I certainly thought about that when I was doing my rank list. During the interview process, I would say that a lot of topics came up and I really felt like maybe that benefited me a lot was just when I got to the interview point, I really relaxed and I sort of just, I realized that, you know, at this point we're all in the same playing field. Um, it's really your job just to be yourself and whether or not, and to realize that whether or not you fit in there in the culture there. Um, so I would often ask you know, people lots of questions. And if I had not done an away rotation there, I certainly you know, would do my homework and look up the institution and be prepared for any questions that came up. I think that's actually really good uh, advice that I wanted to just drill down on is like doing your homework about the, the program that you're going to. I know that uh, I've seen applicants come through uh, different organizations and they really just have no idea about the program. Like I've, I've seen applicants, like in some of the places I've been, they're like, hey, you guys uh, presenting anything at SIR? And I thought, man, like, of, of course, like we're presenting stuff at SIR. Like, I mean, like we do it every single year. Like, but like he was legitimate. Like if I would have said, yeah, we're presenting one paper, he would have like been just as surprised if I would have said 30. And it, like, it, it was just like, like just smacked of a guy that like didn't know anything about the program and, and hadn't like, you know, gone through the trouble. And, and like, I'm even kind of a laid back guy. Like I, that didn't bother me at all. But like, you know, like some people who are, you know, if you put out a couple of papers a year, that would, that would, you know, and you're steeped in academics and research, like that can be a little bit offensive. Like if someone just says, Hey man, what are you presenting at SIR this year? You know, but anyway, so like, I just wanted to drill down on like, do your homework on these places. You know, some of these uh, people that you'll interview with have big egos. And, and so you don't want to just like come in there and, and not have like done a little bit of research about who you might run into. And just to, just to echo that too. I mean, like these programs put a lot of work into figure out whether or not they even want to interview you, they have a lot of great people that are applying that you're competing with. And it's kind of almost disrespectful. Like if, you, if you're not even bothered to, to look up them as an institution and what their culture is and you know what things are important to them. Um, I, I just found that kind of surprising. I, I definitely ran into a few people on the interview trail to say the least that really had just flown in and they didn't know really anything about the city. They didn't know anything about the institution. So I, sure. that's definitely... That should be a given. Yeah, man. If I could interject, there is one thing that's actually been different um, in the last year, and that's uh, where we've gone to virtual interviews, you know, because Very of COVID. So people aren't visiting, right? There aren't the lunches. You're not getting to see as many groups of residents and take tours. Now, you know, different places have virtual tours and YouTube videos and things like that. Um, so you don't have the same uh, gut feeling about a place. Uh, which is something that I always tell people to trust your gut. And I ranked my number one place based on my gut. So I think that's been different. It, it remains to be seen how that's going to change. I think there are positives and negatives of going to the virtual route versus the in-person route. The positives being that it was less money for the applicants, right? Travel. And now you can apply to many more programs and interviews really almost like half a day now. Uh, so you could do more than one interview potentially even the same day which would seem crazy to my generation. But uh, from a program standpoint, it also saved us money, but didn't really save us time, uh, which, is, which is something else. Which is probably something infinitely more valued as your time. And 
the the interesting thing is the number of applicants really uh, went up. Now, is that because more people can just click, 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 and more people who weren't going into IR are um, going, you, you know, just applying so broadly, even into multiple specialties, trying to get in? It's really hard to say. Uh, so I think how that dynamic changes uh, remains to be seen, but that's going to be something that's going to be an inflection point again, because the virtual interviews actually were pretty successful, I think. Now, it was different than everything everybody's been used to, but it actually worked out in some ways very well. So who who knows what will happen? I think from our standpoint, it wouldn't surprise me if we uh, stay on the virtual platform. Wow. That would be very interesting. Um, I, I think that um, anything that can kind of take the onus off the medical students, I just feel like there, there's so much burden in, time, in terms of your time and like the financial investment. I mean, so a part of me thinks that's really good, but then part of me is so old and steeped in tradition that I think, man, how can you pick a place without even having to like step foot in their cath lab? But or even move to a city that you've never looked right. at. Yes, very interesting. So, uh, Bill, from from your perspective, though, I'd love to touch a little bit on research. And and even if maybe it's, if you can maybe speak even broader to like what program directors and, and how they feel about it, does it just vary from from program to program and maybe even from, you know, director to director, like how important the research is and, and whether or not it's important to be First author, second, you know, I wonder if you could just kind of speak a little bit of that to some trainees out there who are putting a lot of pressure on themselves to get some things done. Well, you know, there, there's just so many different classes of trainees because you have some people who are MD, PhDs who are necessarily have had grants and even maybe some patents and multiple publications, et cetera, right? And you're going to have people who maybe went to a med school that didn't have research opportunities, but they've excelled in so many other things and they participated in the med student council. And maybe they've they've done it through volunteerism and and leading initiatives at their own place. That's all fine. You know, don't feel like you have to. Uh, I always tell trainees, don't feel like you have to have ten first author publications. From my standpoint, I'd like to see people participate in something if it was available to them. You know, I mean, I didn't have an IR rotation and never mind IR research available at my med school. On the other side of it, you know, we see people who sometimes apply and they have like ten publications all on orthopedics. And it makes you wonder, it's like, did you just click IR by accident? You know? So, or is this like your backup or what's going on here? And I think, you know, if you have such a strong focus in something that isn't IR, have the wherewithal to, to explain it in your personal statement. Like, you know, what is your journey? What was your journey? So that personal statement is a really important way to tie together your application. You know, talk about the strengths of your application, but don't shy away from weaknesses or don't shy away from things where people would ask questions because, you know, this is your chance. We take the time to actually read all this stuff. You know, we have a committee of five, 10 people reviewing hundreds of applications and, you know, we're reading through and scoring them. So if something doesn't make sense to us and you haven't taken that chance to explain it, it becomes a question mark that if the rest of your application doesn't get you to the point of an interview, we never have a chance to resolve that question. understand. Jeff, I wanted to hear from you in terms of, are there any things that uh, advice you can give as far as like, like what I would consider like cardinal sins of like the interview process or the application process that if you're like, if you can just avoid this, like you're going to like set yourself up above some of like, you know, the, the bottom 10%, like any things that are like just total gaffes that just can are unacceptable, like on the interview day or, or interview process, I should say. Yeah, sure. Um, I can probably touch on a few. Um, I think 
a lot of this, I think I thought was like more common sense, but um, I guess it wasn't so common uh, because I saw it on the interview trail. Um, professionalism is to me key. Uh, like the first time you're meeting someone, you know, treat it like, you know, you're the big job interview that you're trying to get. I mean, you should be dressed in professional attire. You should be early, not even on time, like at least five, 10 minutes early. And then, you know, you know, ask questions like you're, you're just really interested um, and, and know enough about the program. It was surprising to me, some people that would show up and, you know, they didn't know that and th they didn't know anything about the program or, you know, they maybe got, uh, had a few too many drinks on the social gathering the night before, um, where you get a chance to meet the residents and maybe some faculty will show up. And, you know, sometimes it's a great experience too, because you ask those great questions, but, you know, if you're the person that is having, you know, too many cocktails and then you're saying things that are inappropriate, they're going to remember that. And the residents are certainly going to tell the faculty about it. If there's any red flags, the last thing is really be honest. Like it'd be amazing. Like I heard some stories on the interview trail where, you know, people would just make up all kinds of things and whether or not it was really even important, I don't know. But like, I mean, there was a guy, uh, that I know that, you know, said he could play the guitar and like one of the program directors, like loved playing the guitar and he had one in his office, brought it out from behind the desk and asked him to play him a tune and he couldn't play it. Like how embarrassing is that? Like, and who knows if that's really even important? Like, it's just, you know, just that all that, all that matters. And then really just know your weaknesses. I mean, I, I knew my weaknesses going in when I was doing my personal statement, when I went into the interview, I was prepared to answer any questions that came up. And I think that's, that was super helpful. Um, but that, that was kind of the gist. I mean, really just be, be happy that you got selected for the interview in the first place. Like try not to act like you're rushed for time and you've got to be somewhere else. Like, you know, if you're interviewing Miami, don't act like you got to be on South beach by two o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. It's just common sense stuff really. I mean, and just, and just know that you, you, you may not be the best fit. You, I mean, you need to evaluate that for yourself. I mean, they're not just interviewing you. You're really kind of interviewing them and you know, you should have some valuable questions for them because you're going to be spending six years of your life there. I think that's, I think actually some of the things you said were fantastic piece of advice, but one of the two of which I wanted to drill down on were be on time and then have some questions. Like if, if you guys, like, if this is like someone's listening to this and this is your first time going through the interview process at some point during an interview, someone's going to say, Hey, do you have any questions for me? And, uh, I'd like to get Bill's perspective, but I think when you say no, you don't have any questions. <laughs> I think that, I think that looks a little weird. So, so Bill, can you also speak to that? Like any, just like cardinal sins, like things that you've seen where you're like, well, this person's out. It, you know, I think Jeff hit a lot of them uh, from a from a PD standpoint. So be genuine. Don't don't put any white lies or or lies in your application. Be able to talk about anything in your application because what is interesting to Jeff or Chris or me may be very different than somebody else. You know, and I've had people who you know in their hobbies and interests said fishing. So I happen to love fishing. And if you go in my office, I have different fishing things in here. So I was asking him, I was like, oh, well, what do you like to go fish for? And couldn't like name a fish. <laughs> Goldfish. <laughs> I, was like, Goldfish. Yeah, I was like, um, okay. And you try to like not let it be awkward. So to a certain degree, you're like, you know, but if they lied about that, what else, like what else, you know, that's such a minuscule detail within the scope of somebody's whole medical school training. Like, really? Like, why would you do that? So be genuine, be nice to everybody. You know, the program coordinators are really busting their butts too, to make sure that they're putting everything together really well for you. Be polite to them. D don't be the person who sticks out to them, uh, either being, uh, being too rude or anything like that. 
and be the type of person other people want to be with. That's not to say that you have to be Mr. Popular or Mr. Loud or anything like that. Just, you know, be comfortable in your own skin, be, be yourself. And that's okay. You know, there, there, there's nothing wrong with being the, the jokester, but don't feel like you have to be like the person who is entertaining everybody. So just, just be natural, be cool, be chill and uh, be someone that other people don't want to work with. You know, cause at the end of the day, we're going to do a lot of cases that are really long and we're going to be working together. And, you know, I can ask Jeff about our recipe while, while I'm there. Right. Like, how do I, how do I truly fold an egg, Jeff? What's the right <laughs> way to do that? That's a, that's a whole nother podcast. Um, one thing I also wanted to mention, uh, that I think Bill brought up some good points and made me think about, um, don't talk about other institutions. Like when you're on an interview, I mean, you're often going to run into some people on interview day. I mean, I know virtual is, is changing things a little bit as far as the social interaction between med students applying, but you know, if you, if you had a, a bad or good interview somewhere else, like, you know, the, the day before or two days before, or you didn't like, you know, you didn't like where you're at and you didn't like the people there. Don't, don't talk about that. Like that's that, you know, that is something you keep to yourself and just put it in the back of your mind when you're doing your rank list. You'd be surprised how many people you know, you're sitting in a conference room waiting to get interviewed. And sometimes there's residents in the conference room with you just there to chat. And um, they're hearing what you're saying and they're not forgetting it. Um, so if you're talking about, you know, one institution and how, you know, you didn't like the people there, you didn't like the culture or the city, they very well may know people there and they may be great friends with those people. Um, so it doesn't, doesn't look good to you to, to sit there and, and bash programs. I certainly remember that a few times when I was on the interview trail and I was just like, it's just very strange. Like it's just, again, it's professionalism really. I was going to say one thing that I would suggest people do is to do a practice interview. Mm -hmm. Ask, ask for, you know, one of the fellowship directors, program directors in that department, wherever you're at, it doesn't even have to be the same special, just to give you a practice interview. You haven't done an interview in multiple years, likely, you know, and this is a different interview at a different level. In many cases, you don't know the questions you need to ask to evaluate a residency until you become a resident, you know, and then you're like, oh yeah, this wasn't important to me, but this actually is. And the same thing happened to me when I went from residency to fellowship or fellowship to a job. When I was my first job. I was like, oh yeah, I wish I had asked these things when I was interviewing for it. So always get the other perspective of uh, what to ask as well as feeling a little bit more comfortable while you're doing it. Yeah, I think uh, that's very sound advice. And and one thing I also wanted to go back on to drill down on something, uh, Bill, that you said is, I think being yourself is is such solid advice. I think it works for a, a lot of different levels. But um, sometimes uh, me, Aaron, and Michael, uh, some of the Backtable hosts get asked, um, you know, advice on, on how to tune up a resume. And I always just tell people, you know, lean into like what your true interests are. If you're not someone who's like particularly interested in research, then don't try and highlight that in either like your your time or or your, frankly how you design your resume. Um, you know, if like you're someone who's like super strong in different uh, like either leadership organizations, like we've plugged, you know, and I have to like link to the RFS because we've we've kind of like referenced them a couple of times today. Um, I think that's like a fantastic way to get involved in leadership. And and that's something that you can highlight. I think there's a lot of different strengths that applicants can have. You don't necessarily have to be someone that you're not, um, which I think is like what Bill was getting to um, a little bit earlier. If I can just tell like one story about like a guy that I interviewed with, um, like not that we want to tell like all the horror <laughs> stories that we've seen out there, but this one I thought was just particularly egregious. So this was, uh, I was interviewing in New York and I I, I think it was uh, Cornell. And, and so granted, look, man, it's New York. I'm sure it's like very difficult to get around. 
this like we're all in a conference room it's like a conference room that seats 15 and there's 14 people in there and so it's like packed with everyone and then there's a knock on the door 45 minutes into like the chairman giving like an address to us and it's one of the applicants he's 45 minutes late and then rather than just taking okay so there are two seats there was one that was right by the door that the, the guy could have sat in easily he picks the one that is all the way across the, the conference room <laughs> And he starts, he starts walking in front of the projector and the chairman is like just acting like he's not there, but it's, it's so obvious. Like he's in front of the director and then he's like, oh, is that seat taken? Okay. It's, oh, it's taken. I'm like, oh my God. I just kept getting more and more thankful. And then he's like, okay, I'll come sit down here. And I just thought, man, why even bother showing up? There's no way they're going to give you a spot. And it turns out that guy was a friend of mine. (laughs) I was just like, I was like, look, man, you're toxic. I don't need to talk to you during this interview. That's great. Um, but I think, yeah, I think we've all seen stuff like that. All right. So uh, final thoughts. So um, Jeff, if you can give like a, a couple of pieces of advice to either people who are interested in interventional radiology or an applicant in interventional radiology or someone who's just like, I don't know, between diagnostic or IR, like what advice would you give them? Again, just always, always think about like everything that, you know, when you're applying to these specialties, really just make sure that this is what you want to do. Um, and make sure that you enjoy diagnostic radiology to a good degree, because that's a good part of your residency. And you need to be a great diagnostic radiologist to even be a good interventional radiologist. I, I think that a lot of people harped on, you know, just being at an IR, getting an IR spot over just being at a, an overall great institution and, you know, finding your way into IR through the other pathways. I would certainly um, say that was helpful. And then um, just to touch on, you know, whether or not we go back to away rotations after uh, hopefully eventually in a post-COVID world, those were very helpful for me. I really got to know people very well and whether or not I really enjoyed being there and the culture and just got great advice. And um, I really, uh, for me, that, that was super helpful. But other than that. Hold on, did, did you do an away at Emory? I did, yeah. That was, okay. I mean, all right. Well, proof is in the pudding. I, you know, it, it definitely probably, you know, helped me get the interview. I worked hard every day and, um, uh, at least I think it is, I don't know. Bill can probably tell you whether or not that was true. For sure. For sure. Um, but yes. Uh, so with that being said, um, and again, just stay involved with, um, showing interest, um, not just, you know, talking to people, but like putting it to the paper, like whether it's research, um, whether it's committees, um, volunteerism. Um, all those things really people see that and you can put that on your CV when you're, you know, going through the application process and it, it, it makes sense. Like there's an evolution of like your interest and your commitment to the specialty. Bill, so, uh, same question to you, if you could give some advice, like your best piece of advice to like, you know, a budding interventional radiologist who's, who's in medical school, hasn't quite gotten into the training program that they want. Um, what do you, how can you kind of lay out the path for them? I would say a couple of things. One, I would talk to the people in the year above you who matched in different things and ask them why they did what they did uh, or where, why they went where they went. And I think that gives you an idea. So I think that post-interview, post-match networking is really important. It's frankly invaluable. Programs change and they change rapidly. You know, people may come or go, et cetera. So um, places that may have looked really awesome may not be. And places that were questionable may become awesome during, during the span of five years. Uh, the other thing that I would say is develop a good group of mentors and who you can bounce ideas off of. And, you know, that's to say that they don't all have to be radiology or IR, 
but people who are going to be your letter writers, et cetera, and make sure that you have good relationships with them, that they're going to write you a strong letter of recommendation. I remember, you know, one of my own letters, one of the people brought this out to me and he goes, oh, wow, look at all these letters that you have. And he pulled this one singular letter. And mind you, you can't see the letter uh, of reference that people submit for you. So I had no idea what it said. It ended up being three lines. It's like, oh, Bill is a sincere student. <laughs> that was it. Dagger. <laughs> and, you know, I was like, oh, uh, you know, maybe not. Maybe you should ask somebody else about that letter, you know. So um, get people who are invested in you is, I guess, what I'm trying to say. Um, not people who just will say, oh, yeah, sure, I'll write you a letter. And you don't know what you're going to get. Make sure that what you're going to get is what you expect to get, because I expected to get an amazing letter out of that person, but it was just a letter. So, uh, and, and then finally, I think the interview process was really telling for me to really reinforce that not uh, only what I wanted to do would be radiology, but IR. Um, at that time, we were still doing visits, of course, and you'd go to noon conferences, et cetera. And, you know, I'd go to all these prelim interviews for medicine and surgery and things like that. And I really just didn't like those programs the way I liked the noon conferences of IR and the field, the people that I was talking to and, and just the general um, vibe. And so the interview process itself was reinforcing, reaffirming for me that what I wanted to do would be IR. That's awesome. Enjoy it. You know, it's, it's a ride. It's one of the few times you're going to see so many different medical centers, um, whether in person or virtually, and you're going to meet the people who are pushing the field forward. So I think it, you learn a lot and it's a lot of fun. Yeah, that's a that's a good life advice. Like enjoy the ride because um, doing the IR um, tour around the country, like you get to meet a lot of fun, interesting people, and you might not get that chance again. So I'll I'll offer one piece of advice for for what it's worth. For both, when I applied to, you know, of course it's a different time, but I applied to residency, which was just radiology, and I applied to uh, fellowship, which was independent of my residency. So as a medical student, I had the guy who's in charge of radiology. He was an IR guy. Was interested in IR early. And I'd done some work with him and I, I just asked him, like, I just kind of went all in and he could have said no, he could have said yes. But I said, you know, there's this one place that I really want to go to for residency. If, if you know someone or if you would give him a call for me, I, I would love it. If you can't, I get it. You're a busy guy. He called and just, I think, put in a quick word. He was able to get in touch with the program director at my residency. And my residency director told me later on, he goes, you know, you were ranked. He's like, you might have matched, you might not have. But he's like, whenever he's like, whenever you had that call, he's like, you know, not a lot of people get that. It, it was something that set me apart in a different way. And then I rinsed and repeated that advice. Uh, so I got to thank Peter Bream from my uh, residency who called my fellowship director. They were good buddies and he put in a good word for me, which also probably helped. So I appreciate you guys coming out uh, this Sunday and uh, donating some time. Bill, Jeff, I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having us. So totally our pleasure. All right, uh, to the audience, thank you guys for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast but want more, check out the show notes of this episode. Um, one of the links that uh, comes to mind, I think we definitely got a link to the SIR uh, residents and fellows section, the RFS section, which we mentioned multiple times during the podcast, but any other links, we'll throw them in there. If you enjoyed the podcast and want to support the show, here are two easy ways. First, take one second and press the subscribe button on whatever platform you're listening on. This helps platforms like iTunes or Spotify know that you, our audience, value what we're doing and you're interested in getting our latest content as we're producing it. Second, if you're really getting value from these podcasts, please go to iTunes, leave us a short written review. This helps us in a ton of different ways. That about wraps things up. We'll see you next time on the Back Table Podcast. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.